Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. So we are starting the walk down to Easter. So we have three weeks until Easter happens. And we're going to just, Sean and I are just going to just talk about, today I'm going to, I, I shouldn't say Sean, I don't, I know he's going to be following through on some stuff that we, I'm sharing, but I'm going to be talking about before the new began. And I want to paint a picture for you of what I saw when I was reading through John. I love John. John's one of my favorite books, and um, I have a lot of favorite books, but John is one of them. And um, I was reading right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was where he was praying. And so I was reading through the chapters right before that. And I was just really struck by some of the things, you know. And, but here's the thing. Yeah, I want you guys to picture this with me. Jesus, so in John 13, it talks about the fact that he knew that this was his time, that his time had come for him to go to the cross. So he knows this. He sends out his disciples to, to get a room so that they can have the last Passover before he goes to the cross. He knows that he only has a mere few hours left in the Old Covenant before it closes, right? And before the Old Covenant is fulfilled, he has just a few hours. This is a moment where the disciples are completely clueless as to what's actually happening. They have no understanding of the gravity of this moment where literally they're standing right on the edge of Old Covenant and they're getting ready to step into the New Covenant literally within hours and they have no idea that this is happening. But Jesus feels it weighty in him, right? So Judas has already come. As we step into John 14, Judas has already been sent out and I think it was fascinating, this is a little side note. It, it says in John 13, let me see here so I don't get it wrong. John 13, 27, it says that when Jesus told Judas to go out and to do what he had to do, it says that Satan then entered him. And what I think is the really interesting thing about that, it's just a little side note for you. The disciples were clueless that that happened. It's not like the movies where he was possessed by Satan in this crazy, like, dramatic way. It was a simple decision that when he took the morsel from God, right? The communion cup, knowing that he was getting ready to deceive the Son of God. When he chose to do that, he opened himself up to being possessed by the devil. That's huge. But the disciples didn't see it. They had no idea what was happening. Okay? So this has happened. Jesus has deeply grieved this person. He has poured his life out for three years, has made this decision. And so he has sent him off. I'm sure at some point they have had the Passover in this particular part of the scriptures. It doesn't give us a detailed step-by-step thing of what's happened. But then Jesus starts to talk. Now, don't you think that when he knows he only has a few hours left, that what he talks about is going to be really important. Don't you think that what's deeply heavy on his heart when he knows that in just a couple hours, their entire world is going to get shifted? Everything they have known before is going to be 
completely yanked out of reality. And they're now stepping into a completely new covenant. They have no idea. They have no idea. I think some of them still thought that Jesus was going to come back and conquer Rome. Right? They have no idea what's happening. But Jesus is sitting there with the weight, this heavy weight of knowledge of going in just a few hours. I'm not going to be with you anymore. In just a few hours, the new is going to begin. And this new is going to be really, really hard. Right? Don't you think that what he shares is really, really important? He's trying to prep them. He's prepping them for the new. He's trying to get them thinking so that when the hard stuff comes, how many of us have lost somebody that we've loved dearly and their last few words have meant so much to us, right? Their last few words meant so much to us. That's what we remember the most. And God knew that. He knew that's what we would remember the most. Okay, so we're going to read just a few verses. Honestly, over the next week, Take time and just study John 14 and John 15 and John 16 and just read them and read them again and read them again and read them again and get them into you because it's so rich with meaning. It's so rich with intention and it's so rich with purpose. There's something serious that God wants us to grasp. All right, so in John 14 and 15, I'm only going to pull one small thing. He actually uses the word. I'm not going to read this one yet. Hold on, Elijah. We're going to go to the word abide. It's used 15 times in just those two chapters alone. In the NASB, I think the King James Version actually might have a few more times in it. 15 times. The Bible, when we study the Bible, anything that God says more than twice We need to be paying serious attention to when he says it 15 times in the New Testament or in two chapters alone, I should say, in two chapters alone, this is really, really important. And I think that what's beautiful about John talking about the word abide is that John probably had the most authority to speak about the word abide because John was the one who says the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how John always identified himself. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the disciple who would lean back on Jesus when they would be talking. They would just lean back, and he would just lean against his heart. Even in, when, at some point through this scripture, as I was reading it, Peter was like, John, who's he talking about? Like, and John turns around, he's like, Jesus, who are you talking about? Like, they knew that John had the heart of God. And we see in John and in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that he uses this idea of abiding because he owned it. He had authority over it because he understood what it was like to abide with the Son of God. This is really, really important. He talked about it 15 times. He uses this word in two chapters alone minutes and hours before he stepped into the end of one covenant and the beginning of a new, right? This was so incredibly critical that we understand what this means, all right? So let's look at the definition. I like definitions. It means to stay in a given place, in a given state, relation, or expectancy. I like that, to stay in a given expectancy, to abide, to continue, to dwell, to endure, to be present, to remain, to stand, and to tarry. I underlined a couple of words in here 
to dwell, to be present, and to remain, because those are the words I'm going to use, because we don't use the word abide as often in our English at this moment in history, right? It's a word that's kind of, I don't know, we just don't use it very often. It's not a common word. But we do talk about these other words. Like, we use these other words a little bit more frequently, and I think that they carry an understanding that we understand better, maybe, than the word abide. I loved, I looked up the word to dwell, and we know that it means to live as a resident, right? Like, so that's common. So we understand that when we're dwelling with somebody, we're living with somebody. If, you know, like, my house is my dwelling place, right? Like, that's, that's a common phrase, but it also means to keep the attention directed at something. If I'm dwelling on something, I'm keeping my attention focused on it, right? So if I am abiding with God, I am not only living with him, I'm also keeping my attention focused on him. There's two meanings to that word, and both of them are extremely applicable to this, Right? The word to be present, that's a common phrase right now that we use like, like all over social media. They're like, as you're looking at social media, they're like, you should be present, put your phone down, right? Like, that's the common thing right now. And how many of us know that if we're talking to somebody and they're doing this, how do you feel? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, mm-hmm. Oh, what? I'm sorry, did you say something important? Right? <laughs> You know, it reminded me of the, the picture, like I had, I remember like there was movies when, when I was young and growing up where the, and it was common back then, I think, I don't know if it's as common now, but I don't see it in the movies as much, where the husband would be sitting at the breakfast table waiting to have his breakfast while his wife was cooking. And he was sitting back reading his newspaper, right? And the wife is talking and he's going, uh-huh, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh. And finally, she walks over to him. I, I don't remember what movie or anything like that. I just remember, like, pushing the newspaper down. Are you listening to me? What? I'm sorry. I was distracted. I was reading. I know. I need you to be present, right? Like, when we're talking to somebody, we want them to be present with us. We want their attention. We want their eyes. And another thing that's about being present is the fact that when I'm talking to somebody and I'm really present with them, if Sean and I are having a conversation and I'm really present with him, I'm not thinking about the next thing that I want to say. I'm not thinking about a rebuttal if I disagree with him. To be present with somebody is to lean in so that you can hear what they have to say. It's finding their heart, right? That's how we're known. We all have this deep need to be known, fully known, fully seen, And it's important that when we read through these things where God's talking to us about abiding with him, that he's talking about him being present with us. He's present, longing to fully know us, but there's a side to it that we forget in our selfishness that we're not really present with him. Right? Sometimes we're busy with all of life. And so he takes time in the last few hours of his life to talk to us about abiding, being present, remaining with him. That means to stay in a place, right? We're going to stay here with you, God. You know, we want to stay in your presence, Jesus. 
I want to just abide here. I want to be present with you. I want to dwell with you. I want to dwell on you, right? This is what he was talking about in John 14 and 15. Every time he says, if you abide with me and I will abide with you. He's saying, be present with me. Let me connect heart to heart with you. I'm here. I'm available. And he was talking about this before the new began because they would need those words in the days to come, in the months to come. In the next three months, their entire world is going to get rocked over and over and over again. They're not going to know which way is north. They're not going to understand anything that's happening. And all they're doing is trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And they go back to the last words that he said, like all of us do when we're in grief. And we go, I remember you said this. I need to abide with you. I need to abide with you, right? This is what it was like. This is the picture that God put in my heart as I was reading through this going, oh my gosh, in just a few hours, he was going to go to the cross. And he knew that all of history was going to get shifted. It was never going to be the same way again, ever. Right? And he said, come and abide with me. Now, what I love about this is John 14, 23. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our abode with him. We will come and we will be present with him. We will come and we will dwell with him. We will come and we will remain with him, the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son, right? He will come and he will make his abode with us. It gets better than John 14, 15, and 17. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you or abide with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. So this is something new that he's saying. Because up until now, in all of history, the Holy Spirit would come and he would abide on people. And if you understand, like if you read through even in John, the first of John, John 1, it says that when the Holy Spirit came, that John would recognize Jesus, the Son of God, he, not Jesus, he would recognize the Son of God by the one that when the Spirit came down, he descended down and he remained or abided on. So that means it was not common I don't know if abided is a word, but I'm going to use it like that. So, <laughs> but that's the thing. Like he was, it was not a common thing. It was something that was marking the Son of God apart for John to be able to identify him. If you remember in some of Sean's teachings, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit would come and he would rest on kings and prophets and priests. And he would rest on them. And Jesus is saying, when the new begins, he's going to be on you. And then he's going to have this transformation where he's actually going to become in you. I have to go so that the better can come. Because then the Holy Spirit can come. And he will not only be on you, he will actually abide, be present, to dwell with you, to remain with you, in you. This is huge. 
This is huge. This is what Jesus was talking about. It got me thinking. You know, I've known this for for a really long time. But it just I was I was processing this and picturing myself in Jesus' shoes as much as I could ever possibly try to do, which is not much at all. And, you know, and recognizing that the burden that I would be feeling at that moment, you know, but then he's sharing that, that the Holy Spirit, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triunity of God wants to be with us a hundred percent, fully invested, fully present, always there, always attentive. And I found this scripture, I was looking at the Old Testament, the scriptures that talk about God being our, like a God abiding with us. And I came across Psalm 26, 8. And it says, Adonai, which means Lord, I love the house or the abode where you live, the place where your glory dwells. And I was just like, oh God, I love the place where your glory dwells. I love the place where your glory dwells. And then he goes, it's in you. You're the house that my glory dwells. Right? What's it say in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? We become the temple. And do you know that the temple, there are a couple of different words in the New Testament to describe the word temple. This particular word actually means sanctuary. It was the holiest of places. It wasn't just the temple grounds. It was actually the sanctuary. He was saying, do you know that your body is the sanctuary of God? He comes and he dwells in you. And I found myself going, God, I'm not worthy. And I suddenly had this picture of just how unclean I was to host the very presence of God. To host the presence of God. Who am I that I would be called the sanctuary of God? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of it. And it made me not, not feel condemned. It made me feel convicted to go, God, I want to be holy. I want to be holy. I want to be pure so that I can represent you well. I had, I had this memory. I, I was talking to somebody at the church several like years ago, probably seven or eight years ago. And this idea is actually leaving our culture, which I think is grievesome to me. But, but beyond that, she was, she was having this conversation with me about something that really irked her. She was really frustrated. And she was like, I'm so mad I could just cuss. And she's like, but I would never do that because I'm in the church. <laughs> and I was like, well, good. I'm glad. I don't want to hear it, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. If I am the temple of God, how dare I defile it? Right? Like, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. I'm the temple 
the sanctuary of the Most High God. The things that I do with my life and with my mouth and with my mind, they matter. They matter, you know? And I had this, and I was sitting there under the conviction of God and just going, God, I want to honor you. I want to honor you with everything. And I began to see his blood just washing over, like on the inside, lining all of the places of me that weren't worthy. And his blood would run down, and as he would run down, the blood would run down, it would turn gold all the way down, and it became beautiful. And he was like, I want to be present with you. I want to abide with you. That's why I said that. It's not about your worthiness. It's not about how perfect you are. It's about your yielding. It's about your yielding. What did he say several times in John? He said, John 14, 15, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. In John 14, 23, if you love me, you will keep my word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to keep my word. That's how we're washed clean. We're washed clean, and it's not by doing. I want to I break that really fast for you guys. Religion tells us we have to do things to make it right. Right? We're going to become holy by making sure that everything that we're broken with is done properly so that we're never broken anymore. This is what Paul was talking about when he said that he was, I think he likened himself to like a whitewashed tomb. He, he was like, everything that I wanted to do, I did what was right on the outside, but inside I knew that I was I was defiled, right? That's religion. Religion is making the outer side look beautiful and doing dutifully everything that God says, but on the inside, we're dying. That's not what he's talking about when he's talking about abiding. And when he says, if you love me, you will do my word. If you love me, you will do my commandments. What he's talking about is stepping into this place of abiding, being fully present with him. It's a yielding to him, not a doing. As we yield, which is literally I, like just to lean back and to pause in his presence and to go, God, how do you want me to respond to this situation? Okay, I don't want to respond like that. I'd rather be mad, but I hear you, right? That's yielding to him. God, I feel this in me, this temptation in me that is causing me to want to step out into sin, and I know that it would be sin. God, what do you want? What's your freedom say? What does it say? It says that the grace of God instructs us how to live righteously and holy in this, in this present age. It instructs us on how not to sin. So we have the grace of God instructing us. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And Jesus died for our entire freedom, setting us free from sin completely. Right? Everything that we need for life and godliness is in Jesus Christ. Okay? I just listed off like five verses for you. I don't even know where they are. Okay? But that's what it is. Like that's the truth of abiding. Abiding isn't me fighting to try to be perfect. Abiding is me stepping into the presence of God and leaning into him and going, you want to be fully present with me. When I talk, you don't have a phone out and you're not answering a whole bunch of prayer requests. You're leaning in and you're listening. 
And you're not listening to rebuke me. You're listening because you love me. But it has to be reciprocated. Then we choose to then lean into him and go, God, what's on your heart today? What's on your heart? And we do this. And as we abide in him, we remain in him, we do this all day long. All night long, we are, when we wake up and we're tossing and we're going, God, what's on your heart? Do you have something you want me to pray? Because I can't sleep. I want to listen to you. I want to hear you. I want to know you. This is what John knew. John knew that. And that's why he had the authority to use these scripture verses. It was so incredible because John walked with Christ, but he was also the disciple whom Jesus loved. He loved all of his disciples, right? But John understood it. And John abided with Jesus in a way that the other ones didn't. The other ones were constantly trying to figure it out. And John just sat back and listened. He listened with his heart. And so even in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, you see the heart of God come forth. Right? God is love, is what he says in John, 1 John, I think. First John 4, 7, and 8. I could sing you the song. <laughs> right? But that's the thing. Like, John knew God like that. He had authority to be able to talk about the abiding of God with him. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to, guys. John 15, 4 says, abide in me, so remain with me, dwell with me, dwell on me, and be present, fully present with me. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in the vine. Don't cheat and read the next verse. Listen for a second. <laughs> Listen for a second. We cannot walk in the ways of God unless we're abiding. If we try to, we're going to move straight into religion. And we're going to be walking in religion. And it might look a little bit parallel. But at the end, Jesus will say, I never knew you. I never connected with you heart to heart. You might have done everything like you were supposed to. But I wanted to know you. Right? He wanted to have a deep, abiding connection with you. And if we slip into religion because it's easier, it's a lot easier to do right things than it is to be. Right? It's a lot easier to be. And in our culture, we don't be very well. How many of us need to have our phone on, the TV on? You know, things happening. We're still talking to people. We're multitasking in a hundred different ways. And we're saying that we are present with that person. We might live in the same house, but we're not really connecting. We need to be with God. Right? That's what this is talking about. This scripture verse is saying, you, if you want to have fruit, if you want to do anything, if you want to grow in me and have the right ways of God in your life, then you have to learn how to lean back into me and just be in my presence. You don't have to come to church to be in his presence. You don't have to have corporate worship to be in his presence because you are the sanctuary of God if he lives in you. Right? If he lives in you, you are the sanctuary of God. John 15, 11 
says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may abide or be present to remain, to dwell in you, and that your joy may be full. We were talking about joy this morning even in the prayer closet. What I love about this is that it actually says that his joy is present with you. It remains with you. It's dwelling with you 100% of the time. It doesn't leave you or forsake you. His joy is always there. That's huge. We don't have to learn to grow in joy. It's a part of his gift. It wasn't a part of the gift of the old covenant. And Jesus was telling them that he was getting ready to do something new. And he was getting ready. He was saying, as the, as the end is coming, but before the, the new begins, I want you to listen. I want you to understand that when we step into this in just a couple hours, something new is going to happen, and you're going to have freedom that you've never experienced before. And you're going to have trials like you've never experienced before. And your whole world is going to get blown out of proportion, and you're not even going to know which way is north. And yet I want to abide with you. Remember my word walk in my ways and you will be abiding within me. Lean back, be present with me, connect with me. How many times did Jesus say, I only do what I saw the Father in heaven doing? That's what it looks like to abide. Is we lean back into him and we go, God, what's on your plan? What do you want me to do about this situation? How do I need to respond here? How do I need to act here? How do you want me to think about this situation? How do you want me to treat this person right now who's really ticking me off? Right? Because we're leaning back, we're yielding to him. Here's the thing. I have three different categories I want to hit on really fast as we close. The first one is if you don't know Jesus, have you never experienced being fully known? We can never be fully known even with another person. Marriage a healthy marriage is one of the best ways of knowing somebody. It's one of the most intimate places that we can have a full knowledge of the other person. But there are still parts for me of Sean that I can never quite reach because I don't know how to do it because we are both individuals, right? But with God, he comes in and he dwells in us. And in Ephesians, it talks about us having the mind of Christ, Right? So he is not only just dwelling in us, he's communicating with us. And if you don't know God like that, he's not wanting to get to know you so that he can condemn you and shoot lightning bolts at you. He's wanting to get to know you because he deeply, deeply loves you. And he wants to know you in the way that he's created you. And he wants you to know him in that way because he knows that that is where you're going to find freedom and hope and life and joy, right? So if you don't know him, at the end of the service, we're going to have you come up and, well, you can come up on your own. I'm not going to make you come up. And pray with our prayer team, okay? The second one is this. For those of us who say we know God, but we're not doing his word, we're living in a lifestyle of sin, we have things that are going on that we know are wrong, but our flesh screams for it, and so we choose to do it over and over and over again. Jesus says that we will abide with him when we do his word. In Revelations, it talks about sitting on the fence. I likened it, last night I was 
praying about it, and it was the picture of the Old Testament. Every time Jesus would, or God would come back, and he would be like, so in grief over his people, and he would say, he would say, you've stepped into covenant with me, but you're out adultering. You're out satisfying your flesh when you've stepped into covenant with me. Stop. Make a choice. Leave that stuff. If you say that you love God, but you're living in lifestyle of sin, he has set you free. He has set you free. He wants to renew your mind. Grace teaches you. Everything has been given to you for life and godliness. Right? So we don't have to do that. We make a choice. If we're in the covenant of God, we have to make sure that we are not playing the harlot, as the Bible says. Right? Because he won't abide with us if that's what, he's do- if that's what we're doing. We have to make a choice. Choose today who you're going to serve. Choose today who you're going to serve. And if you want to know God and you want to be fully known in the way that only he has created us to be known, then we have to choose to stop. Right? And we have to choose to say yes and to learn how to abide. And here's the third category, okay? It's the people who do know God in the covenant. We're not living in lifestyles of sin, but we find ourselves not sure how to abide because it feels like we should be doing when you're saying that we need to be being, and I'm not sure how to be when I, all I know is how to do. All right? Because our culture teaches us, even as children, that we need to be good. Be good. Stop being bad. I know how to perform on the outside, but on the inside, I'm not sure how to abide. And honestly, it's yielding. That's what it means. It's learning to yield, and it takes practice. It's not like, I'm going to choose to go, yes, today I'm going to yield. No, today I'm going to yield a thousand times. I'm going to have to consciously go, God, I'm going to yield. My body is the sanctuary of God, and I just want the thoughts that you have. I want to honor you with who I am. I want to be holy as you are holy. I want to honor you with every thought, every word, every deed. I want to love you with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength, and I'm going to do that over and over and over again until it becomes who I am, and I can become more like John who is able to just sit back and understand the heart of God. That's what it looks like. If you're in one of these three categories, I'm not going to have you raise your hands. I do want you, though, to plan to come to the front and take some time. Repentance starts with recognizing we have to make a shift. And then repentance is actually actualized, not by an emotional experience up here, but by the daily choice to walk it out in righteousness. Right? I was going this way and I was on the fence and I would play the harlot as the Old Testament says over here and I would indulge my flesh in the ways that I wanted to because my flesh would scream and I would say yes to it and then I'd feel really bad and I would, I would repent or I would say I'm sorry and I would try to do what was right because I'm trying to do what was right and I moved back into religion. That's not freedom. It's not freedom. Repentance starts with coming up and saying, God, I recognize that I have been sinning. I recognize I'm not honoring your heart. I haven't been abiding in you, and I'm going to make a choice now. And then I get up, and I walk out, and I change. Every time that I'm encouraged to go back into the old way, I go, no, that's not who I am. And I have the freedom 
to be able to say no to this. God, what is your plan for my success in this moment? What is your plan for my freedom in this moment? What is your plan? I'm listening to you. You say you will always provide a way of escape. Where's it at? Where's your escape hatch? Right? That's the way it looks to abide. I'm constantly leaning back into him. Everything, I'm fully dependent on him for everything that I do. Okay? All right. I'm going to pray, and then John Marker's going to come up and close us out. Jesus, I just... Yeah, we want to be a sanctuary that is holy and pure. God, we want to honor you with our words and our deeds and our lips and our minds. God, the actions, the way we treat people. We want to honor you with the way that we drive down the street, the way that we're going into our house, the way that we're training our children, the way that we're loving our neighbors, the way that we're loving the people around us, God. But even beyond that, we want to let every single thought that is in our heart, God, the things that we dwell on, be pleasing in your sight, God. We want to dwell on you. We want to be fully present, fully engaged with you. We want to learn how to do that every single moment of every single day. We want to be like Paul who says that he prays in the Spirit at all times. He never stops praying in the Spirit, God. We want to be able to lean back into you and abide with you in that way. And Jesus, if we don't know you at all, God, I pray that you would just, yeah, that you would come in and you would set peoples free, set the prisoners free, Jesus. Invite him into your heart. Get to know him like that. Call him Lord. Let him take the reins in your life and lean back into him and let him begin to guide you and lead you. And if we're in the middle and we find ourselves saying that we're in covenant with God in a marriage covenant, in a holy place before God, and yet we're in lifestyles of sin, God, would you forgive us? We don't want to break our vows before you, Jesus. Set us free, Jesus, like you've already declared and you've already done, God. Show us how to change our mindsets. Show us how to walk in true repentance, Jesus. Yeah, and God, if we're in the third side, that you would just show us how to abide in you more, more and more every single day, God, that we would lean back into you. We would know you and your ways. God, we would study your word so that we would know what was on your heart, but that we would be constantly ever-present with you, God that your joy would be made full in us, that we would be able to abide in your vine and be fruitful, Jesus. Yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarnsburg.com. We hope to see you soon.